0: W Hunting Supply is your go-to source for the best in dog training systems and supplies, as well as equipment for hunting, houndsmen, and women. We've served dedicated dog owners and avid hunters across the nation since 2000. And it's our mission each day to continue offering you exceptional products and outstanding customer service. At W, we're not just suppliers, we own and train our own hounds and we regularly use the products we sell. We're proud of our hard-earned knowledge and we're happy to share it with you because when you shop our WU, you're not just our customer, you're part of our community. And W just
1: launched a really cool app Steve. You can download it in your App Store on either your iPhone or Android any smartphone. And all kinds of content in there from training tips and tech support. You can schedule uh, actual maintenance for your tracking device right from that app now. Sign up for an account, download that app, and start tracking W anywhere that you have cell phone connection. And you can find all information about W Hunting Supply at www.dusupply.com.
0: This is a Houndsman XP
1: podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. In this episode of Houndsman XP podcast, I travel to Arizona to take America's heroes on a bear hunt. And this was all made possible by an organization called Sportsman for Heroes. We have Sonny Tapia, the founder of this organization, on the podcast this week, along with two of our heroes. Uh, Sergeant Major Robert Glass is going to be in the interview. He gives a very interesting talk about the price of freedom and how that freedom is paid for, how our warriors struggle with the war effort, both in theater and especially when they get back home. We also have Chris Davis, who is an Army veteran himself. He's a Gold Star family member. Uh, You'll hear his story about losing his brother in the war for freedom in the Middle East. So we've got a pretty emotional podcast for you. It's going to be very uh, different than other podcasts we've done, but I think it's important that we talk about these things and we, we see what the real price of freedom is here for, for our freedoms to hunt, to bear firearms, to have this great thing in the United States called conservation. We're going to talk about conservation issues. Robert gives us some insight on his experiences in Africa and how hunting is so much different. Wildlife conservation is so much different in the United States than anywhere else in the world. Chris gives us an insight into his impressions on hound hunting. and He and Robert both describe what impact hound sports are having on their lives. This is definitely an opportunity, and should be a wake-up call for houndsmen to come off the mountain, get involved, and put our message out there. Let the world know what who we are and what we're doing. And um, we can put things on social media. We can post videos on social media, and and things that are controversial. But there is nothing controversial about taking America's heroes out there and giving them an opportunity to to enjoy the great outdoors and a hunting experience. It plays well with the veterans and it is probably the single most important thing we can be doing with our passions as houndsmen is paying this back to America's heroes. I want to also mention our sponsor, W Hunting Supply, and encourage you to go to the Join the Fight page. So you, you, if you're operating on the new app, then you can find, find the, the, the link on that app by opening up the web page. but you can also go to www.dusupply.com, and then if you're operating on a mobile device, click on the menu button, the three little lines up in the right-hand corner, Click on Join the Fight and uh, purchase one of our new Houndsman XP logo leather patch caps. It's stylish. It's uh, something that that you're going to want to have here in a couple weeks when we we announce our 50,000 download celebration. Because we're going to have a giveaway on that. You're going to need that in order to participate. So it's going to be exclusive to our most serious supporters. But visit dusupply.com make sure that you're using them to equip yourself you know they, they their tech support their customer service everything that du is about is uh, is going to be beneficial for you as a houndsman so if you're going there to buy a cap make sure you round that order up buy a du shirt uh if you're if you need a t5 collar or a tt15 then then round it up with a cap so we would we would appreciate your support and We love bringing you this podcast every week, but freedom isn't free, and that's what this podcast is all about. So sit back and enjoy a, a great conversation from 9,500 feet right out of bear camp, and you're going to hear some hunting stories, but you're also going to hear some, some human stories about the struggles that our veterans face, not only in theaters of war, but also when they get back home and hear the amazing story from our veterans, but also from our host, Sonny Tapia, as he talks about putting his passions and his emotions, making an emotional investment, I guess we could say, into these veterans that are coming back. So hope you enjoy this podcast. It was fun to make it, but it was an honor to be in camp with these great men. Remember, freedom isn't free. What are you willing to do? to secure that freedom for the future of hound sports. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast. We are coming at you live from 9,300 feet in an undisclosed location in Arizona. And uh, this is a pretty awesome experience we're having up here in Arizona chasing some black bear this week. And it's my honor to uh, introduce Sonny Tapia from Sportsman for Heroes and a couple of veterans that uh, we are hosting, that actually Sonny is hosting for this this, uh, hunt. So it's been an awesome experience, Sonny. I can't tell you enough how honored I am for you to reach out to me to come out here and participate
2: in this hunt. So, Sonny, how are you doing today? Thank you. I appreciate you, Will have me on, and I, I really appreciate you coming all the way from Indiana to, to uh, <laughs> mess around with us. You know, I it really means the world to us, and I know it means the world to these vets.
1: Yeah. So we got two veterans with us today, too, and, and uh, we'll just go around the room here and kind of check in. And, and Robert, you want to start out?
3: Yeah, I'm uh, Robert Glass. I'm a retired sergeant major. I did 23 years in the Army. Um, it's been about 18 years in fifth group, third year, uh, three years in the third special forces group. Um, I think total combat time, probably around six years. People talk about how many missions and deployments they've been on. I'd be honest with you. I quit counting them in numbers. I just count them in years. And that was actually know uh, time I spent in combat, but time I spent overseas. You know, out of 23 years in military, I probably spent 18 years somewhere in freaking, you know, downrange in some Arabic-speaking land. That's the language that the military taught me, you know, and we were hunting bad guys. Training good guys and uh, trying to hold up a democracy and a freedom for our country.
1: So when you say special forces, Robert, you're actually – give us a little more specifics. On so
3: so when people hear the word special forces, you know, news, they, they get it wrong all the time. But if you hear the term special forces, you're actually talking about an Army Green Beret. And that's the only special forces unit in the world. And when you talk about special operations, you could be talking about a Navy SEAL. You could be talking about a person in the uh, – and the recon forces and the marines or they have a special operations in the marine and different special operations even the rangers they could be considered uh, special operations but when you hear special forces first thing should come to your mind they're green berets and uh, just think about the movie rambo you know i have a lot of predecessors that uh, that's what they look like man these are a bunch of badass freaking guys you know it's protecting your rights and protecting your freedom
1: yeah and
4: chris well, that's a tough one to follow. So, <laughs> Should I have introduced you first? <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm Chris Davis. Uh, I was in the Army for eight and a half years. Uh, 10th Mountain Division. Uh, did a deployment to Iraq with them. Uh, a little place called Triangle of Death. Uh, beautiful place. Shitty people. <laughs> uh, but so then left there. Went to Yusuf Sock for a while, which is a special operations command. Uh, worked in the support for a while with them. And then I went to long-range surveillance on Bragg and uh, 82nd Airborne Division and got out back in 2012, or no, 2014 is when I got out.
1: Yeah, so, but you're still serving.
4: Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, a bit, I guess. So, I mean, I'm I'm still, you know, kind of spreading my knowledge and and, and helping the fight forward uh, with with our diplomats, uh, training special agents right now, but... I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at. I got lucky. Every time somebody says, oh, yeah, you're, you're doing great, I'm like, man, I got lucky. I probably yeah. couldn't pull it off again.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, Robert, you're still serving, too. Yeah,
3: I still serve. I work for an agency. It's under the Department of Defense. It's called Defense um, Counterintelligence Security Agency. And it was known as DSS. We just kind of changed our name. But our day-to-day activity is do counterintelligence for the clear defense contractor. So anybody that makes anything special, unique classified from, uh, weapon systems to satellites in the sky. We run cases on people that's trying to steal our technology, you know, and do harm to our soldiers. So our end go by doing this job. You know, I feel like this is the way I can contribute to the, uh, back to our country and really and truly serve our, uh, my, um, brothers in arms because, uh, we try to protect the technology that we field on the battlefield, and make sure that it gets there that's uncompromised. So when our adversaries, they pull out a sword, our guys pull out a lifesaver, you know, and, uh, you know, we always got that one-up technology, and uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, my body's wore out. My mind's getting there, but I'm still a little, you know, still wanting to contribute to the world and uh, do my thing.
1: Yeah, so I'll just kind of lay this out for our listeners because we've got a em- uh, a visual image here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Robert, Robert says he, he, you've actually got your grandson in camp with us.
3: Right, I brought my grandson out. You know, I'm originally from Alabama. I live here in Arizona now. My family still lives back there, but uh, he's 14 years old, and uh, you know, he's hunted deer before, but never experienced you know, other opportunities. And uh, I just wanted to g- come and spend time with him. Really, was the reason that I was here. It's more about time uh, rather than the experience. But the experience, you know, help him grow, and uh, he's learning things here and I uh, even got to shoot a little gun while ago and, uh, kind of surprised some people that he could actually shoot, you know, and even at his age, he's already down a few deer, you know, and he's been hunting for a while and there in, uh, the, in the South, totally different hunting from, uh, up here in the, uh, you know, in Arizona. And this area is unfamiliar for me to hunt. It's a new thing for me. To be honest with you, I hunted when I was young. I stopped hunting for years. Um, I came back from Afghanistan and, uh, you know, we'd been down range, things were hot and heavy and I decided to go hunting. I went out and I, uh, you know, down a little whitetail, and I walked up on it, and then uh, it was a nice buck and everything, but I had no emotional feeling about it. You know, I just kind of felt sad for the animal, and I kind of felt like, shit, i got to drag this thing out of the woods too. <laughs> yeah, to be honest with you, and there was no emotion there, and I, I tell you too, truth, I felt like I was emotionally bankrupt.
1: Yeah.
3: And, uh, you know, I'd seen so many friends get killed, seen so many people die, you know, been on the receiving end the giving the end of all that, and, um, I, you know, I felt like, you know, just killing an animal, you know, just for, you know, meat or, or a trophy. It just didn't feel right in my heart at that time. So I quit hunting for about, I guess, about 10, 12 years. And then I kind of started getting that desire back, but I lived out in Arizona. I really didn't know how to do it. There's a big draw process, and it's a little bit difficult to uh, hunt big game. And I got uh, a friend got in touch with me. He's like, hey, I can get you a tag to go hunt in Javelina through this Sportsman for Heroes. I hadn't heard of them before. And uh, he said, just call this guy here. So I called Sonny, and he totally took care of me. He hooked me up. You know, here's the tag. He sent a guy all the way up from where he was located um, in Springerville all the way down to uh, Phoenix to bring me a tag. Um, we got it trans- uh, transferred to me. I met some of his friends slash guides down at Benson uh, um, in Tucson, right below Tucson there. They took me out, and we killed a javelina. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it was the first time that I sat behind a, set of, a pair of binos since i have been in Afghanistan. Yeah. i was in afghanistan i'm searching for people i'm searching the bases of trees houses i'm looking on the rooftops i'm looking in the windows in the top and i was sitting out in the open at this point you know which i never done before i'm sitting out there and i'm glassing for animals you know and i'm looking for these javelina which i'd only seen in freaking pictures on tv before i would never even seen one in person and i still caught myself i'm looking at the bases of you know trees and Different types. I'm looking for people. I'm not even looking for a freaking animal. And the yeah. guys that's out there with me, um, they're guide me. And like, oh look there's a deer over there. I don't see the freaking deer. I'm still looking for people, you know. It took me a little while to zero in and say, you know, this is actually cool. I'm sitting out here, nobody's shooting at me. I'm looking through a pair of binos, you know, snow was melting off the ground. It was freaking gorgeous, It's beautiful, great experience. Didn't really care if I killed a javelina or not. And at the end we did shoot a javelina and, uh, but what I learned was um, in the military, it's really hard to connect with people, to be honest with you. If you hadn't been in the service before and I met you on the street, we'd probably have a quick conversation. I'd move along my way because I try, I feel pretty different. I'm in the civilian sector now, and I work with civilians, but I still have a prior time talking to them about things that I'm interested in. And I'm interested in hunting, and now when I meet these guys, we have something to talk about. We share our, you know, our experiences And uh, in this hunt out here that we're doing right now, we have people who came from Montana, from uh, West Virginia, um, um, Indiana, and they drove here on their own dime. They brought their own dogs, and they come here for a few of us veterans to give us the opportunity to experience this hunt. And uh, I'll be honest with you, we we haven't got a hunted. We got on a few bear so far, but we haven't killed one yet. If we don't kill one, I don't really care. It's a great opportunity, you know. I met some good friends, I I'm sure I could probably drive all the way to the East Coast down. I could stop at every one of them's house, and I wouldn't have to have a hotel anywhere along the way. That's right. And they would put me up and take care of me, you know. And all this has been afforded the opportunity through Sportsman for Heroes, you know, through Sonny there. And he's uh, actually kind of rekindled a fire in my heart that I haven't had in probably 15 years.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to take it back to Sonny because none of this will be going on without you, Sonny. I want to talk about your foundation what you're doing for, uh, you know, what's, what's, your, what's your mission for, for sportsmen for Heroes? You know, what do you hope to accomplish with this foundation?
2: And uh, just take it away. Well, I'll tell you the first how, how it all evolved when I was a young kid. I, my father wanted me to go into the military. And I wanted to be a hunting guide my whole life. You know, that was my, that was my passion. That was something that I was cut out to do, and I believe that, the good Lord, you know, put me on the search for that. Anyways, uh, when I graduated high school, I didn't go to the military. I I became a professional hunting guy at 18. And uh, I was living a dream. And I really didn't know what the price of freedom really was at that time. I knew that we lived in a country that was free, but I really didn't know why. And I was guilty for that. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are, They don't really know what what the price is when up. Hang on to that thought because when you're talking about
1: the freedoms, you know, you're going to hear some, some language in this podcast that somebody might be uncomfortable with, you know, but we're sitting amongst warriors here and uh, the price that they paid for that freedom of speech, you're just going to, we're just going to have to deal with some of that. I'll, I'll do my best to edit what I can, but you know, these guys are talking to you from the heart and they're taking their time to share their experience for your fo- with your foundation right here. But you know, if 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 you uh, if you you get offended by a couple sm- small words here, then then uh, you might want to turn this one off. But uh, we'll do our best to edit that out. So when we're talking about freedom, freedom of speech is part of that. And and when you're dealing with warriors, um, you know it's not a it's not a Disneyland world out there. So you go ahead and. and uh, let her rip, Sonny.
2: So, so, uh, so I remember you not know, when 9 11 came, I was uh, on an elk hunt and, uh, I had just my client had just harvested the bull. And we got back to the truck and I turned on the radio and I heard the commotion of what happened at nine eleven. Where were you? Where, where I was were? in the gila of New Mexico, we okay. real elk hunt. And, uh, seems like everybody remembers
1: exactly where they were that day. I mean, I can. I can recall that too. We were uh, canine training that day. I had a couple guys lined up for um, for training partners to lay tracks and do different stuff, and and I was on U.S. fifty right there, uh westbound, just outside of Versailles, and and get this little blip. You know, a plane hit the World Trade Center, and then, I mean, it went from that to us kanking the whole mission for canine training that day, and and heading to the sheriff's department and watching the
2: news so right you know and uh that that client had made kind of a a bad shot on that on that bull so i wanted to give him some time and we went back after he found out about the listened to that on the radio we went back to the lodge and everybody was glued to the tv and i remember you know watching over and over the clips of the planes hitting there and people running and I told the client that I was going to go back and get that bull that we had wounded and gave him enough time, and he was so shaken up he didn't want to go. And I said, I'll go myself. So I went and took care of this bull, and it gave me a lot of time to think about what was really going on. It was kind of eerie. There's no airplanes in the sky, nothing flying, nothing. It was just weird. I was
1: actually out. I coon hunted a couple nights, and where I live, you know, we live right outside of Cincinnati, and so we're right in that flight pattern of Of Cincinnati CVG Greater Cincinnati Airport, man, was a couple peaceful nights there. where you you know you can (laughs) hear dogs and right. So I get it.
2: Yeah. So I I got that bull back and I was married at the time and uh, I had a four year old son and I was really really pissed and upset about you know all that happened and so I came home and I told my wife that I was going to join the military and I was going to go fight for our country and. You know, how, like how a, old were you at the time, sonny? You remember? I was, I was probably thirty, twenty-six or thirty, somewhere around there. I don't know exactly. <laughs> anyways, uh, no time for math, right? right now. <laughs> well, really? I was I ain't any good at it. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I flunked that one. That's why I became a hunting guide. <clears throat> well, anyways, uh, you know, like any wife, you know, kind of concerned that. She was going to have a husband that wasn't going to come back or, or uh, be a father to their kid. And uh, it really made me think about it and talk. And that kind of made me make a decision on not going. And uh, I kept going on through life and living the dream of being a professional outfitter or a hunting guide. And, and uh, I, at that time, actually, I became a, an outfitter. I started my guides, uh, my guide service in 2001. And uh, I then after that I started donating my time to a, an organization called uh, Hunt of Lifetime. Yeah. And it's an organization that caters to uh, terminally ill kids. And you have these kids for like five five days, you know, and you're, you're spending time every day with them, and you 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 kindle this relationship. And you know that any day that those young lives could be gone. And uh, I took five or six of them and not one of them were alive and they were all anywhere from eight to 18 mm-hmm. and it was really tough on me you know I'm I would kind of get emotional when it comes to that stuff because you know I it, that stuff really tears at my heart but anyways uh, so I kind of switched gears and I started donating to uh, organizations that catered to uh, veterans and the first group I had was a, was a veteran that was a, he was wounded he was a double amputee and i'd never been around that before you know and we were on a bear hunt and this guy was one of the toughest guys you ever come across he didn't want never he he was like walking around on his knees you know and a few pictures, going over these logs and all this stuff he didn't right. want none of us to help him and we're like well let us help you he's like nope i'll do it myself this is tough country tough country you, yeah, know? you know a lot of blowdowns and and, and and uh so we were out one day and the dogs were uh, rigged and we turned out and we had bear tree. and I got as close as I could and we got 400 yards from it. But you know, in, in, in this kind of country, 400 yards when you're on your knees is That's forever. <laughs> right. So I told him that I was going <clears> to <throat> hightail it to the tree and he had one of his battle buddies with him that was on the hunt also. And, uh, uh, I, I had a, some other guides helping him while well, I made sure that this tr- this bear didn't come out of the tree. So I stayed there, and it was probably one of the one of the top five biggest bears I've ever treated in my life. Yeah, and you know I'm in awe at this bear, and his buddy comes up and he's looking at it. He's like, "That's awesome," and and then about 45 minutes later, here comes this fat, and it he come over this log and come around this tree. And when he came around that tree, he looked up at that bear and I guarantee you there was, there was about eight of us and not one of us had a dry eye. Yeah. And from that moment on, I knew that I couldn't not donate my time to veterans, you know, cause it's for me, it, it's something that because I never served, I felt guilty. So this kind of gives me a little bit of peace of mind and give me, give me makes it feel like, you know, I, I actually did something for the vets and, uh, I love it. It's my passion, man. Yeah. It really is, you know, and Well nobody can nobody
1: can argue that. I mean I'm I'm sitting here first time in your bear camp here with these veterans and, and uh how many volunteers have you got you got working working in this camp, volunteering their time. Man, I bet you there's twenty of us for
2: sure, huh? And then people that aren't even here that have contributed. All right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, all of us, you know, this it's a five oh one three C and it works off of donations what's cool about this 513c there's not there's not a dime that goes to one of us I don't make a paycheck there's not no one in the organization that makes a paycheck gets paid everything goes the only money that 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 the donations go to is for tags if a guy can't afford it or meals gas and all the supplies that it takes to run these things and everything else is is uh Straight into the foundation. I it? mean, if somebody starves a
1: death death in this camp, then they're not very motivated <laughs> to eat. Because I mean, it's there's there's food here. You've got cooks here. I went into town with you one day. We bought a tag for for one of the vets, right? And uh, yeah, it's a pretty amazing thing you've got going on. You know, we got we got two guys here that that served in the you know the, the army and the sergeant major. I'm sure he knows something about logistics. You know what's your what's your opinion? I, I tell you,
3: truth, I look here, I'm kind of wild, By first we show up, tents are set up, you know, and I'm a guy, I don't want anything for nothing, you know, I'm still able body. I mean, I move slow, I limp around, I wear a brace on my freaking ankle, on my I'm going to tell you
1: know. though, to, to paint this, this visual image, if you met Robert, I mean, this guy, he, he's a house, yeah, he is, he's got <laughs> free, Chris, you've known him
4: since, how, how old were you when, you when you got to know Robert? I've known Rob all my life, man, he, uh... He's been around forever. I can't, I can't remember a time without him, honestly. Yeah. So, uh, him and my dad, you know, best buds growing up, coming up in the, in the SF community. And, uh, I remember I just looked at them as giants, man. He still is a giant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
3: Yes. I I tell you about Chris's father, him and I served together in uh, special forces. We went through the Q course together and Chris was three years old when we first met and, uh, he was a baby. He's got a brother who's no longer with us who also died, uh, who died in Iraq. Big blow to uh, probably one of my biggest losses, to be honest with you, to see my best friend, still my best friend, you know, lose one of his sons in war, you know. And uh, I remember one time I came back. I, as soon as I heard it, you know, it happened. I freaking flew home. I went straight to the house. And his wife, I mean, we're all family. We grew up together. His wife's like, yeah, Buck hadn't talked to anybody. And that's his dad, as Buck. says he hadn't talked to anybody, let nobody in the house. So, I just walk in, open a door, I was, hey, let's get on our motorcycles. We all rode bikes. Chris even at the time had a freaking crotch rocket. We ride (laughs) American-made shit, but, you know, it takes a little while. He rides a Harley now. It takes him a little while to come around. I said, you know something, man? I said, I don't think Steven would want us to freaking sit around here and mourn his death. I said, let's freaking go celebrate in his life. So we jumped on our motorcycles. We went to Myrtle Beach. um, From where? And we were in uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Okay. And so a few of us, we jumped on our bikes, we hauled ass down to Myrtle Beach, got the freaking best hotel room we could find, and we celebrated this young man's life for a little while, for a couple of days. Yeah. And then we all gathered up and we went to Arlington, and uh, we put him in the ground with the fucking best honors and the best people you could ever imagine, you know, and uh, that's the way people should be honored when they uh, give their life for our country, you know, and uh, the damn thing, you know, crazy it is, the kid was born, uh, was died on the 4th of July, um... At the time he died, Chris, his brother, was in Afghanistan or in Iraq with him. His mother was in Iraq as an EMT and as a contractor. The poor kid's grandfather was in Iraq. Um, he had he had uh, retired from an Air, uh, for I think American Airlines or one of the airlines, as a mechanic, but he was working over there as a generator mechanic. And uh, so the poor kid gets killed, and he's got his brother, his mother, and his grandfather all serving in fucking Iraq. You know, excuse my language, but. How much more patriotic can a family be, right. you know? Right, And just amazing. They put them all on the airplane, flew them into Dover, you know, and brought his body back. And uh, most people don't know. I'm kind of talking. I don't even know if they really want to know. But uh, they brought the son back to the uh, TMC where his mother actually worked, you know, and she knew he was coming and knew he had passed. And she was actually one who uh, cleaned him up, you know, after the incident. And he took a grenade to the head, you know, it wasn't like he was uh, – you know, got hurt and, you know, squashed between two vehicles and some convoy or some shit, you know. He was out there doing what men are supposed to do, you know, serving his country. And so it means a lot to me. I've lost a lot of good friends, but that one always sticks out because it was my best friend's son, you know. The rest of us, for me, you know, we're all doing our job, but he was kind of like a kid of my own. I watched him grow up, you know, and yeah. uh, when you watch someone that you care so much about and their family suffer, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty traumatic, you yeah. know. And, uh, it's, uh, I don't know if Chris wanted me to talk about this, you know, um,
1: you guys have talked about it before.
4: Yeah. I always love people to talk about him and I mean, that's, that's the way to keep his memory alive. Right. Uh, he died a warrior I'm doomed to die in a car accident or an old man. (laughs) So, right. I mean, he, he'll, he'll be forever remembered a warrior.
1: Yeah. No doubt.
2: No doubt. You know, that's a, that's another big thing that I love about sportsmen's for heroes is that you know when these these warriors come back to to uh civilian life, you know, they they've seen a lot of things that that none of us have ever seen. And uh they have nothing in common with us about because we're we've never seen that. <clears throat> anyway, so I've have talked to a lot of them and they and and I the first question that I ask a lot of them whenever I uh, Meet them, and we're one on one. I ask them. I says, "Why?" Because I always want to know this. Because I want to kind of, I kind of want to have a science to this. I guess. I'm like, "Why do to a lot of veterans turn to suicide?" And it's crazy that most of them say the same reason why. So they tell me that whenever when they were in the service, they had a purpose. They knew what they were going to do from day to day, every day. And uh, what, from the time they woke up to the time they went to bed, they knew what they were going to do, and, and, and it was a purpose. And uh, when they when they get out of military and they come back to civilian life, they have no purpose no more. They they feel so they they're alone, and a lot of them say, you know, people think I'm I'm weird and I'm different, so they don't have no m- many friends, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so whenever you're alone, the, the, you've got a lot of time to think. Yeah. And you're always thinking of the bad things instead of the good things. And So with Sportsman's for Heroes, I've met a lot of guys that that have been in, kind of in that rut. And Sportsman's for Heroes is not only for hunting. We do whitewater rafting. We do cattle drives. We do um, ATV jamborees and stuff like that because, you know, not everybody's into hunting. Right. And that's what makes this world go around. But Sportsman's for Heroes wants to cater to every one of them in every aspect there is. You know, you want to come out here and you want to go shoot shooting photography, look at animals. Come on, yeah. You know, we don't have to hunt. You know, and 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 it may bring these guys out here and, and having them around. You know, people that care about them. It, it gives them a sense of purpose again, and and they feel like they're wanted. And and it. This is crazy how. They light back up.
1: Well, and it- I want I want to keep I want to keep that thought going, and I want to come back to that because I want to talk about the changes that you've seen and some of the veterans that you brought here from the time they hit camp to when they leave. Okay. But uh, one of the things that I want to go back to is understanding the the things that veterans coming back from a theater. You know, I I can recall coming back. Well, you know. I'll just take this right back to training completely changed when desert storm started, you know, at at the time there hadn't been any major conflict. You know, you're just going through the motions, you're hitting, hitting your, your marks on your training, different things like that. And then when it was going to war, then, then the training completely changed. You could see everything was ramped up and different things. And, and, uh, you know, I said, I was 20, 21, I guess at that time. And, uh, you know, I said my goodbyes when when we went into went into our our training queue there and our, our sequence for training. You know, mom, dad, I'm I'm leaving. You know, and then the company commander decides he's going to give us a three day liberty at Christmas. You know, after I'd been training to go to war for a month. You know, just a month, and mom still says that's the weirdest time she's ever spent with me in her life. You know, it all came down to to uh, north carolina and and uh, we went to Topsail beach and and i was really disconnected so even with people that i'd known my whole life i was looking at them and thinking i have nothing in common with you right now have you guys ex- have you experienced that chris
4: yeah so coming home from iraq was a little different for me um my deployment was cut short uh we were there for well i was there for a year but then we ended up getting extended i remember when that happened to, that was That was a cake in the pants, man. And so we got extended for 15 months, but it didn't even matter for me. And so uh, one day, company commander came in and told me what happened to my brother. And uh, I was out of the country within 24 hours. So coming home was a little different for me, Uh, dealing with the loss of my brother, um, trying to figure out, you know, just trying to convince myself what was the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. you know, I I could I could go one of two ways. I could feel sorry for myself and woe is me, or I could live a life for two people, and and you know, do the best I can every day. And you know, and, and that's where I'm at now. Uh, but it took a while to convince myself of that. Um, had some hard times, but second deployment coming home from my uh, Afghanistan, it wasn't too hard. Uh, you know. I came home lived with my parents for a while uh yeah. I, they they lived right off post, so it wasn't too big of a deal. My mom would do my laundry follow <laughs> my roommates it's pretty yeah. it's pretty awesome. I was a young n c o lived with my parents, so it's pretty sweet uh but you know coming home and recognizing that life goes on without you and then try to step back in and insert yourself into that uh it could be tough um and that's what i that's what i kind of you know i think it was the hardest part was you know recognizing that you know although you're gone life back home doesn't get on pause it's moving forward without you your kids growing your dog's growing yeah you know everybody's changing your friends are moving and so you're coming home to a different world and uh it, it can get a little tough i know when i came home from
1: desert storm they threw a party for me and they mom and dad did all this and they I mean, my parents stayed up every night. That's that's when CNN was, you know, they took us right into the theater. You know, everybody back here and and uh,
3: Roto, <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Wolf or whatever, You know, it's on Fox <laughs> there now. They were they were they were downrange right there with us. So yeah, that's right.
1: I mean, they were embedded embedded right in the in with the troops and stuff. So they spent they spent nights, you know, trying to catch every inf- bit of information they could, and then, and then when we got home. They threw this big welcome home party and they invited everybody I knew and you know, just like Robert said, I mean it was like I was there but I wasn't there. Mom still talks, you know, she still reminded me of that. So, you know, Robert, you you touched on that.
3: Yeah, it's uh you know, you come back, I'll be honest with you, for me, you know, I'm from a small town Alabama, I was just a little country boy, <laughs> joining military at seventeen years old and uh just looking for uh, a different experience, and uh, wasn't looking for a career, wasn't looking to do anything, you know, special. And um, it was a fit for me. I liked the discipline, you know, I liked the structure of it. And I'll be honest with you, even now, when people, I don't tell people that I was even in the army most time. I don't really get that close to people, but you know, sometimes I tell people, and they try to make a little bit of a big deal, and it's kind of embarrassing for me because. I feel like I'm just a normal person that was in a, a different situation, you know, and I walk away, um, you know, and, t- and Sonny talked on the PTSD, man, it's a, it's freaking real world, it's out there, it's killing people on a daily basis, I think I'm one of the lucky ones, because I, in, in a way it's lucky to be kind of emotionally bankrupt, where you don't have a whole lot of feelings for stuff, you know, and uh, I hate to go to funerals, um, you can't hardly drag me to a funeral, it's got to be a close, close relative or i mean it's it's hard to get me to a funeral because it brings back some things that I don't want to feel, you yeah. know, and so I stay away from that type of stuff and um but I am one of those guys I'm kind of hard soul, but I know the guys that have a and it makes me sad i was me and Chris was talking about the day a little bit you know about uh, you know how hard it is on our family, especially my wife, you know when you're not really an emotional person and something happens emotional in your family, you know and she's all emotional about it. And you have no freaking emotions about someone passing, you mm-hmm. know. And, uh, you know, it, it's a dis it's a disservice to her, I'll be honest. It's a disservice to her because it should be something that I feel bad about, something I should be crying with her about, you know, something we should be sharing feelings about. And, uh, I mean, I didn't realize I was that freaking bad off, to be honest with you. And one day me and my wife, we were at the freaking racetrack. We got a couple race cars, and we were letting down one of them, easy up canopies, you know, those things are kind of complicated she caught her hand in it and it's pinching the crap out of her hand and she's hollering for me to you know get it off her hand her hand's hung in this thing and i reach over and i get it and i finally get it and i start chewing her ass about <laughs> having her hand in this spot you know and instead of saying i'm sorry let me see your hand let me check you know because her hand was cut you know and stuff but my natural reaction from being in the military when someone gets hurt it would send me into a rage because normally they hurt by enemy Right. And I'm gotta freaking, I gotta react. You know, I have to direct troops, I have to direct fire, I have to react. Just, I don't have time to sit down and kneel down with this person who may be shot and dying, who may be dead, say my prayers and hold their hands. I, I didn't have that time. You know, we're, we're maneuvering, my, we're moving.
1: I hope my wife didn't listen to this podcast. Yeah, maybe and, she needs to listen to it.
3: <laughs> and oh my God, man, I feel so sorry sometimes for my wife because I am so unemotional about things, and you know, being. Retired Sergeant Major, things got to be my way most of the time. And uh, I went through, you know, a few divorces because I am that way. Typical military thing. You know, when I, uh, my last few years in the military, I was divorced. And I said I'd never get married again while I was in the military because I'd be honest with you, I didn't want to put another woman through what our families have to go through with her husband getting on a plane, getting a phone call, getting on a plane in the middle of the night, going somewhere. And I'd be honest, in the early days, there was no freaking sat phones, there was no email. Yeah. And sometimes I didn't communicate for three months. And she all she knew, I left in the middle of the night. And they'd be watching the news because there'd be shit happening on the news. And she knew where I was at, yeah. you know, because it's fired up. And it's like the dogs are howling, you know, news is going off. She knew, I, she knew I was there and shit was hot and heavy. You know, she's waiting for that freaking chaplain to show up. Yeah. Because that's what they do when we're gone, man. They're waiting for the chaplain to show up and, uh, you know. I said I never would put you know another woman through that, and I didn't. I got I got divorced the last time. I stayed single until I got out of the military, and thank God I found this lovely woman that I'm married to now, and she puts up with me. She really she tolerates, you know, all the baggage that I brought from that into our marriage, you know. And, got a little uh, background noise from a, a big
1: lot. diesel firing up right there. Yeah,
3: we got some camp movement going on out
1: there. You got it, part of it, like at 9,500 feet.
4: Yeah, it's moving out.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know we. I think it's important that that our listeners understand, you know, the the picture that goes around what you guys have done, and paint that picture. But we need to lighten it up a little bit, uh, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a little serious, you know.
2: <laughs>
1: we got, you know, we got to make fun of yeah, or something. Yeah, I mean, you know?
4: military wasn't all bad, man. I tell you, <laughs> I love it. Uh, pe- 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 people, people hey, make a big deal about it, but don't tell a story about Germany. No, okay. no, no. <laughs> but man. People people make a big deal and woe is me sometimes. I mean, it's easy, it's easy to woe's me, but man, I get to hang out with my best friends. Yeah. And dude I knew those dudes would lay down their lives for me. Yeah. And you know, you'll you'll never and, and just like Rob said, you know, we're you're not gonna find that outside, but man, like me and my buddy we still meet up, we still hang out. I mean we're still good friends. And and we i some of the best times I've ever had was, was in Afghanistan. So I remember
1: stuff that happened from Desert Storm, you know, and I remember the feelings that it took me a long time to reconnect with my own brothers. I got five brothers or uh yeah five brothers and a sister and and uh you know, I felt closer to the guys I served with but I'll tell you this this is we say all this, but everybody I've talked to in this camp, you know you talked to to pixie and hicks and and the guys who have been here volunteering, every one of them has told me that. That you don't make friends with Sonny Tappy, you be, you become family.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, me and Robert, he went on that Avalina hunt with uh, with Devin, and I wasn't there because I was on a, a guided elk hunt. Um, he called me up and he he actually wrote me a letter, and it and it was it was pretty awesome, and and uh, I'm into Harley's and so was he. Yeah, and we met up on a Harley ride, and he got to meet my friends and girlfriend and we got to hang out. And I mean, I I feel that we're pretty good buddies. Yeah. You know, I can actually call Robert and I'll say, Hey man, I need to borrow your motor home. He'll probably (laughs) let me do it. (laughs) Hint. We got some dogs firing up
1: in the background. That's that's the most action we've seen all day. Yeah, they, they must be hungry. They must be. Right. Yeah,
3: I, I would. You know, speaking of the friends, thing though, you know, in the military, you, you do meet a lot of guys. You know, it's really good friends. You meet some guys who's not such good friends. You know, and uh, the one thing's kind of deceiving about the military. Everybody wears the same uniform. You train the same way and everything. But we're all still different. You know, and it took me a long time to kind of figure that out. And I don't connect very well with uh, people that hadn't served. And it's not that I don't think that they're worthy of my friendship. It's just that I don't have that thing in common, you know, with them. And 23 years, a big part of my life. And then when Sunny, I met Sonny out here... You know, he's actually the only person I ever drive sometimes down the road. I'm like, let me just call this guy a blue and freaking screw with him because <laughs> he's an alpha male like me. And we can throw shit back and forth at each other, yeah. you know. And, and it is strange, you know. And uh, he introduced me some freaking awesome people that I feel like that's, you know, will probably be in my life, you know, be part of my life for the rest of it, you know, out here. Yep. And people I can actually go and uh, hang out with because I'm not a big go to hanging out with people, you know. It's just not who I am, you know. I'd rather have... I tell people, and it is true, you know, I say I have less than ten friends, but if I say somebody's a friend, it's probably really less than five, I'll be honest with you, and that's the guy I can call in the middle of the night share my darkest secrets with or if i say i need you to come here and help me do something that dude will not ask what it is he'll be on the plane to come there to help me he'll help
1: you hide the bodies yeah and he'll ask yeah i will
3: be like dude bring a freaking shovel and get on the first flight smoking this way you know and make sure you're hydrated because we're going to be digging all night and he'll be like all right you pick me up in the airport or where do i need to be? give me a grid coordinates in the army that's why give me a, give me a grid i'll be there you yeah. know and uh but it is hard, but I have met that part. And, you know, like I say, Sonny's like the first person that I met. And it's not that I feel like he, you know, done me a favor because he didn't make me feel like he was doing me a favor. He gave me an opportunity I hadn't had in a long time and uh, kind of rekindled this hunting thing, you know, and uh, I like gadgets and shit, you know, like all of us in the military, I went out and bought a bunch of new hunting gear and stuff and, didn't bring none of it out here because I didn't want to get dirty. <laughs> how stupid is that? You know I think? And I not want to be the rookie walking around in Bear Camp with a bunch of camouflage on, you know, because the guys he sent out to hunt with me, and I'm all cameled up, and these guys walk around in jeans, you know, and, and it's just another day at the park because they know how to hunt, you know. You forgot right? the hair gel. Yeah. The hair gel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, else. I didn't want to release the secret. <laughs> it's like the locations of the hunt and the hair gel. That's the secret. I ain't going to tell you what brand it is. But I don't have any hair, so I can. I don't use it, but I might rub it on my damn clothes. I don't
1: know. <laughs> let's 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 talk about hounds. That's what this is all about, Sonny. Right? right. Uh, you know, what do you talk about? Talk about the hunts we've been doing the last couple of days, and and what what our expectations are here.
2: You know, the hound community in in hunting and hunting community in general, but mostly hunting, you know, or hounds. You know, like I told uh, your buddies from montana come out and hang out with some vets and run some dogs and they drove 16 hours to come out here and uh with no questions asked because we have the passion of of dogs and he had told me that in uh idaho that the season had just closed so it was the perfect timing for him and and as being a houndsman you know that's all you want to do is is get your dogs on on another uh bear or lion or or coon or whatever it might be and because no matter how many you have treated, or no matter how many times you have ran them, there's never enough time. And uh, it is awesome. You know, I got Kelvin uh, from Res Hounds. He'll be here tonight, yep. and he's another, you know, uh, military man like you guys. And you better bring my dog. <laughs> you better bring your dog. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and all you got to do is ask a houndsman, uh, hey, we got to go catch some bears for some veterans or, or whoever, and they're all about it, you know, and – and that's what I love about it, you know. I, I remember when I how when I first got into it, my buddy had been a houndsman for a long time, and and this guy is really good line hunter, and I used to go with him all the time, and I always just think, man, I want to do that. I want to get my own dogs, and I wanna I wanna experience that myself. And I tried it a couple times, and then I got right back out of it because there's a lot of dang work, you yeah. know, and uh, because.
1: Somebody, somebody asked me the other day, so I think it was Jason, one of your guys. He's like, so what's your annual cost on, on keeping hounds? I mean, how do you answer that question? Right. <laughs> you know, you've got emotional investment. You've got your time. You've got, you know, all the regular vet bills. <laughs> vet bills you've got feed. You've got, you know, just gas, I mean, everything that goes into it. So, I mean, being a houndsman is a lifestyle.
2: Right, right. You know what I mean? And I'll be honest with you, Chris. I'm not really a dog lover, you know, yeah, like I, about you know, like I told you, I, I'm not a guy that's going to have a, a lap dog in my house. And, and I'm just not, I'm not emotional connected to, to dogs, but I've have I have some hounds that, that are just my buddies. And I got one in particular that, that I got at eight weeks old from Rez Hounds that his name is Chance. And this guy's my buddy, yeah. you know? And I mean, he's, he, he gets a real treatment out of all the hounds that I've gotten. It's just you know say a man's man's best friend and you know, I look at him straight in the eye and I'll talk to him and, and he looks at me and I, I know him, he's listening to me. And, and then I walk away. I'm like, I wonder what he thought. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's well, pretty cool.
1: You know, it's one of those things, you, if you want to see who loves you more, lock your wife and your dog in your trunk and open it in a half hour and see which one's happy to see you. Right. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know. Right. Then you'll know, then you'll know who your friends are. True. So you are a dog guy. I mean, you tried to tell me that and I picked up on that.
2: And right. And I said, you're a dog guy. Right. You know and I mean? What's cool? What's cool about this whole thing? You know, is it's, you know, I I can't do this alone. You know, and it, and it and it's awesome that you know that you drove out from Indiana and Larry come out from Montana and Rez Hounds is coming out from the reservation and my buddies came out from West Virginia. Then it just it, it you know everybody thinks that the hunt industry or world is that kill kill kill. But you know what? Being a houndsman or even being a hunter in general is you're you're a, a conservationist, man. Like you and I were talking about, you know, right here where we where we're hunting is the biggest fire in uh, in Arizona history, five hundred fifty thousand acres. And I remember telling you as a kid, I used to see all this country that was just the most beautiful country on the planet. Mm-hmm. And the first time that they let us come back up on the forest after the fire. Uh, I was with my boy, and he says, it not grow back, Dad." You know, he was, he was probably about, he was about 11, and I said, "Not in your lifetime, son." You know, yeah. and, and we'll never see it the way that I seen it when I was a kid. But and it's it and it's growing back, and it's getting beautiful again. But it'll never be like what it was. But for the naked eye, it was probably the worst thing it could ever do. But for for uh, habitat it's probably the best thing that could ever happen. You know, and I talked to you about it because the animals thrived. I mean, we got the grass is knee high, right? You know, and it's, it's beautiful. There's a lot. I'll, I'll tell you, I mean,
1: being in my profession for the last 28 years, I understand that. And without going down a big rabbit path here, most people don't understand, you know, that, that fire is a natural thing and, and actually rejuvenates a forest. So even though, we may have some emotional attachment to it from, you know. There's places where I grew up that were were natural forests, and they come in there and they log it, and first thoughts are, oh, they've ruined the place. But actually, you know, that helps rejuvenate that. So
2: it's like I told you, whenever I was in, just got out of high school, I used to cut timber. Yeah. And uh, I used to walk up to some of these big trees, and and it was kind of bittersweet to cut them down, you know. And after that, because I was so much. Uh, I'm a, I'm a forest lover, you know, and I, I'm, and, and,
1: you know, that's one thing that most, most people don't understand about sportsmen is we're the original conservationists. I mean, we are the reason why there's wildlife on this landscape. It's not, we got a dog. Can you close that window behind you there, Chris? (laughs) So anyways, you know, and and like,
2: you know, and, you know, and, 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 and hunting, you know, I I have the most respect for the, the animals we have, you know, and I, my favorite animal is, is a, is an elk, you know, and, and uh, I've taken a lot of people and harvested a lot of elk in my day, you know, and
1: there wouldn't be an elk in this landscape without hunters.
2: Right. Right. You know, and I mean, I, you know, I, I always give respect to the animal and, and most, most hunters do. And, uh, people think that we're just bloodthirsty killers and we're the furthest from that, you know, when, you know, like us houndsmen, you know, uh, whether you're a lion hunter or a or, or bear hunter, you know, we, we, try, we try not to harvest the sows. Yeah. And the reason for that is because the sows are the ones that produce the new, the new growth.
1: There's a couple thoughts I want to drill down on there because, you know, this is about hound hunting and preserve, protect, and promote the sport of hound hunting. So just in the last two days we've been hunting – when somebody says, and I'll get your reaction on this, Chris, when somebody says that hunting with ounce is an unfair advantage, what's your reaction to that after seeing that for a couple of days?
4: So that's pretty funny you bring that
0: up. Uh, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> I've shared my
4: opinions with you. Uh, so growing up in the south, uh, dog hunting is a big thing down there. They uh, they hunt bear with dogs and they hunt, uh, they hunt deer with dogs and raccoons and and so I got I mean without going too deep into the wormhole with the deer part tanner right in the background. there it goes there we go without without <laughs> going too deep with about the deer um I, you know I heard about this maybe two weeks prior to the actual hunt, and uh they were like, oh, we're gonna be running dogs, and so I didn't know what to think, and my buddies will tell you that I'm not much in the dog uh hunting uh i got a I got a little bird dog right now I'm training up, but so I wasn't wasn't too sure what to think about it. So I started watching videos on, on hunting dogs or hunting bear with dogs. And what I noticed on the bear hunting it you know, they got the bear treed and I was watching one and it just like you said, you know, we don't take sows uh with, with, with cubs. and so they got this bear, you know, treed up and it's got his cub up there and they're like, Yeah, yeah, we're not gonna take it. And I realize, you know, it gives you the opportunity to really decide, and, and and make a decision. You know, if I'm set up at a tree stand and I got a bear, two hundred and fifty yards away, all I see is that one big bear. I'm zeroed in on her, and I smoke her, and there's a little cub there. Yeah. I'm going to feel pretty bad about that. And you so know,
1: one of the things about hound hunting is whether it's a lion in a tree. I've even done it with coons right. in a tree. You know, you can you've got all the time in the world to to decide whether or not. That is a an animal that needs to be needs to be harvested or you know taken. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and
4: and after realizing that, you know, I realized the advantage of of actually helping a population. Right, uh, like in Virginia, Northern Virginia, place I hunt, it's just overloaded with whitetail. I mean, your average deer per square miles, eight in Northern Virginia. I mean, that's a lot of deer. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean. You know, hunting with dogs, it, it gives you that opportunity to say, you know, hey, this is male or, hey, this is female, you know, this is too small, you know, this isn't a mature animal, so we're not going to take it, you know. Uh, it gives you the opportunity to make that right call and, and to actually be that conservationist. Yeah. You,
2: and, and touching back on, <clears throat> you know, unfair advantage, not every day that you go out just because you got a dog or even if you dump out on a bear that, you're gonna catch it like the first morning we yeah <laughs> we dumped out on a bear and we got in some rough country and it was raining and everything sounded good and you know you got that sound you hear the dogs and you look on the gps and the, the, all the dogs are in line and right. you're like man they can't wait you know and you're just anticipating it for the t- tree and you and you and it's still going and it's still going you're listening to the race and you're all excited and all of a sudden <laughs> the dog starts splitting up and you ain't, you know, as a houseman, you're not going to treat that. So it's not, you know, people think that it's an unfair advantage. But you know what? In reality, those bears, people don't know that them bears are athletic. And they are, they can outrun, they got more stamina than a dog. And they're just. These,
1: bear, these bears live here 365 days a year. <laughs> right. I mean, they know every nook and cranny of this country. And we're bringing dogs in here from uh, Indiana, right. Montana. And of course your dogs live here in Utah right. and, and thinking them. We're going to, we're going to have an unfair advantage on this bear that, that this is his backyard and yep. he does this every day. You right. Know? Right. He's, he's used to dealing with threats. He's, <laughs> he's pretty well adapted to his environment here.
3: I'll be honest from my perspective too, on uh deer hunting or, you know, hunting with dogs. I grew up in the South where we hunted some with dogs and I was real young at the time. And, uh, You Know they go put us out around a plot and run dogs through it and scare up the the deer, you know. And we try to shoot at them most of the time, everybody missed anyway because dogs are running full or the deer running full blast, you know, because the dogs are on the hills and and uh, you know, guys couldn't shoot for crap anyway. But uh, I thought it was a lazy man's way to hunt, to be honest with you. And then we get out here and we're driving along, you know, and I see how much work that it takes to train a dog, vet a dog, you know, feed a dog try to maintain this dog throughout a year for this short period of this season and it kind of baffled me in my mind a little bit today to how someone would put so much work into trying to have a dog you know that would do this for just this short period of time and i was like you know there ain't nothing easy about this it's not an easy man's hunt you know i could go sit up in a, like most people hunt bears go sit up in a tree you know with a feeder underneath me or with a with a bait trap you know wait for him to come and put out bear tra- you know cameras or cameras and figured out his time and stuff like that, that's probably way easier than going with someone who's actually got dogs, who's got to take care of them and train them. And I'll be honest with you today, the dog was in front of us. You know, he's walking down the uh, the trail there, and he's sniffing. And I was amazed this dog was holding his head high. He had a job, and he kind of reminded me of myself in the military. I had a freaking job, and I was seeking out a bad guy. And I was postured, you know, and that's the way this dog was. This dog was headed down the trail. It was no BS. He was postured, and you could just see him. And I was just in awe watching this dog, you know, do his craft. And uh, I, I was just amazed. I mean, it was it was a it was an amazing sight in a beautiful country, you know, watching this gorgeous dog walk in front of us, you know, sniffing the air, and to be able to sniff something that's you know definitely foreign to us, and we can never
1: freaking smell something. Yeah, we can't them. even fathom. No. Oh my.
0: As houndsmen, we share very unique needs when we make a decision to relocate, especially when it comes to finding a hound-friendly environment in which to live. Remax Hall of Fame Realtor Evan Harrell is a houndsman himself, and he and his team understand your relocation needs as no one else can. With so many things to consider before you move, Evan can help you find just the right location anywhere in the country whenever you decide to go and will even help with the process of selling your present home. And Steve, Remax Elite Realty is based in Franklin, North Carolina.
1: Evan Harrell specializes in residential sales and especially in helping people like us to relocate to the locations we choose anywhere in the United States. Remax has been the leader in residential transactions since 1999 and rated the number one brand in real estate. Evan has been named top producer four years in a row and Chairman's Club recipient in 2018. Contact Evan online at evanherrell.com or give him a call at 828-349-4600. You and your hounds will be glad you did.
4: It's and these aren't big dogs we're talking about these are not big animals and you're about to put them up to a 250 bear i mean it, it's impressive the grit they have they got they gravel in their guts man
1: yeah i mean all these guys are hoping to have you know warriors in their pack yeah yeah you know, they can <laughs> that can get the job done and that's 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 for me And I, I hope that's maybe what you guys saw too is is uh i mean these little dogs are these dogs are warriors. They are. They are uh,
3: yep. They're a tough breed, that's for sure. Oh, but yeah. If, if people could be that loyal and be that tough, <laughs> could you imagine how <laughs> this America? You know, what a freaking fabulous place this would oh be.
4: My oh. goodness. <laughs> I mean, It'd it would definitely it be a freaking. I mean, that uh, dog, after that first day chase, man, those dogs looked beat. But they wanted nothing more than to get back out there. They, they. I swear to God, they kind of had that look of disappointment where they were like, sorry sonny i let you down on that one man we'll do better next time yeah i was watching
3: on gps they running through the canyon we we're trying to track them and uh they covered a little over 10 miles before we recovered them straight line distance they went through this freaking canyon that i'd probably still down there if i ever would have made it to the bottom i probably would have fell to the bottom I was still, <laughs> still laying down there and they come out the other side you know and they're amped up and they're hyped and i mean the only thing to explain it is i mean it you just don't know that emotion unless you've seen it before and you know and I've seen people amped up like that before, but them dogs—they were on go. Yeah, know. they live it every day.
1: Oh but yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. I rem- so I walked up the to the to the ridge line with with Sonny, and I was like, I wouldn't go down there. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So Sonny, tell me uh, tell me some stories about you know some of the things you've some of the most rewarding things that you've seen <clears throat> running for Sportsman for Heroes here.
2: So last year we took a a vet. And he was having some hard times, and actually his his buddy had nominated him um onto one of our hunts and wrote me this long story and and the guy's bio and the guy <coughs> went through a divorce and came home from deployment went through a divorce, and kind of turned to alcohol and uh, he was at the point where he wanted to check out well, anyways uh his buddy wrote me this story and I read it and I, I called the guy up and we were at that time we were giving away a uh a Kodiak blacktail hunt in Alaska and uh one of my board members Shane Tunnel actually took this guy and uh they he got to kill uh, a couple nice blacktails and and they were out on this on Kodiak Island all day because you would get dropped off there. And it, it, I don't know if you've ever been around a Kodiak black brown bears or not. But I haven't. But I hear the story from the vet's um, point of view and Shane's. Well, anyways, over there you can you can harvest two blacktails. And he harvested one early. And the next one he harvest was kind of a, a pretty big one. And uh, they are over there admiring it. And they were and he had dropped down in a little canyon and uh there was a bunch of alders and pretty soon he heard the alders and all of a sudden this brown bear pops out and these guys look and he grabs that that uh that blacktail, and just takes it and these guys are backing up and he's like holy crap and he says you want to talk about a walking Volkswagen? He says, You can have that blacktail. And they, hiled, they hightailed it to the beach <laughs> and, and got out of there. Well, anyways, what's cool about this story is after it was all said and done, the guy called me up. And I was actually scouting for another hunt. And he called me up and he said, Sonny, I want to tell you, I want, I want to thank you uh, for picking me on this hunt. It actually changed my life. And I said, that, How was it, Michael? And he told me that story about him uh, being an alcoholic and uh, losing his family. And he said, you know, I I knew that my family cared for me. He said, but I never realized that there was people out there that don't even know me, that actually care about me and care about who I am and what I did. And I'm going to make you a promise. And I said, what's that? He says, I'm going to try my hardest to quit drinking. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, Michael, I says, that really, that's why we started Sportsman for Heroes for stories like this, because we want to make sure that you know that there is people out there to care about you, and alcohol or drugs are not the answer. And to this day, him and I talk quite a bit on Facebook, and, and uh, he's, he's changed his whole life, man. Yeah, and he he's a better version of, of himself you know and, and and like i always tell everybody i say, you know i i can't change everybody's life but if i can ch- make a difference in one person's i'm a I, i'm a winner i'm a winner you know yeah. and it just and i've had a couple stories like that you know and you know i and uh i've there was this one there's another vet that you know he he was probably the worst PTS case that I've ever heard, seen in my life, and him and I we were on a turkey hunt in, T- in Tennessee, and he his last name was Welch, and he came to me and he 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 says hey Sonny can I talk to you and I said yeah, and he and there was this lake around by the lodge that we were staying we walked around this lodge and he says will you think of me any different if I tell you something that i've never told anybody in my life and i said and i looked him in the eye and i said let me tell you something welch i said i just barely know you i said but i'm gonna tell you this right now i don't just care about you man i love you and i want you to know that and um he told me some of the deepest darkest secrets that eats him up from day to day every day of his life and uh I said, let me tell you something. I said, my phone is open to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you ever have a bad moment, I don't care what time it is, you call me. If it's 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, I'll always answer your phone call. And there was a time that I would, he'd call me once a week. And I'd answer it, and I'm like, what's going on, Welch? And He's like, I'm having a bad day. And we would talk. And it was crazy, like within 15 minutes of talking with somebody that actually cared about him, he was back to in five in five minutes, ten minutes. He was back to normal. Yeah, you know, and and that might have you know him. Me talking to him that that night or that day might have you know talked him out of uh, doing something that you know wasn't the right thing to do. So that's what we do at Sportsman's for Heroes, and and, and I'm really proud of it, and it, and and it. I'm the lucky one in the deal, honestly.
1: That's that's pretty cool, you know when you serve, you're always the biggest benefactor. I think, you know, Robert and Chris can obviously understand that. I, I feel that too. And, and uh, anytime you give yourself, you are ultimately the benefactor of what you give, you know, one way or another. And, And that's all, that's just amazing what, what you're doing there. And part of the, purpose of our podcast is is being able to talk to houndsmen and give them ideas of how they can get involved and and make a difference and make an impact in this sport you know it's so easy to get wrapped up in your own dogs and in your own experience and your own hunt but that's not going to keep us in the woods right you know we all love to to we obviously love this sport you know being houndsman and stuff like that but but this reclusive idea that i just want to enjoy my time in the woods. Isn't going to preserve the sport because we're under attack. We're going to continue to be under attack from the liberal left that that doesn't understand our lifestyle and uh, want to chip away at the freedoms freedoms that that uh, people have, have died for, and and that's so important that we give them an avenue and they understand. You know, call Sonny Tapia and get involved with with Sportsman for Heroes, and and when it all comes down to it, and we're looking at it from the from the thirty thousand foot view and and you know what are we going to say to to save hound hunting you know i'm part of conservation i i'm the reason that message isn't working you know and obviously we're not here taking vets hunting so that we can secure the future of our sport that's a that's a side product of what we're doing but you know how can a legislator sit back and say you're wrong
3: right right Right. doing this it's definitely a tough deal i mean uh like I said, I came back on, you know, kind of regain my um, love for hunting, and I started watching a lot more hunting shows and things like that. And the hunting shows that you normally see on TV, they don't have hounds, you know. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, it's someone out. And a lot of the shows, to me, I can see right through them, you know. You can see the production in them and things like that. And it's probably not as real hunting as what I would love for it to see, you know. And when I see people out there in the hunting and the you know, what they're hunting and the hunt itself is not as interesting as the story. And it, it, what makes a guy good on TV that can, uh, you know, can produce, it, produce a good hunting show is a guy who can tell a story because that's what they're doing. They're after telling a the story. They're telling a the story about the animal. They're telling a the story about themselves. And they're telling a the story about preserving game, you know, how important it is. Mm-hmm. And you don't see a whole lot of, uh, you know, people hunting with dogs on these shows, to be honest with you, you know and i don't know if people kind of deem it cruel or what but i mean these dogs is held in high regard you know these are freaking uh these are beasts in my you know in my opinion and I'm looking at them, and I'm, I feel sorry. I, I have two uh, house dogs, and I feel like <laughs> they don't have a job. <laughs> after watching these dogs, you know, and I feel like I failed them <laughs> as a pet owner because I hasn't I haven't given them a job, you know. And I do have a close friend, and uh, he raised uh, he trained dogs and he trained horses. And one time he and I was talking, and he was the first one. He said, "A dog's got to have a job, you know. He's you got to give that dog a job, or it's going to be ended stuff. It's going to be." You know, eating up your stuff, it's gonna be tearing up your friends, it's gonna be doing this, it says a dog's gotta be busy just like a person and a right. dog needs a job, or whatever
2: that job is, you know. So it yeah, is, yeah it's amazing. Chris, I wanna talk about, you know, what, what Robert said about, you know, there's not a lot of um hound hunting shows on T V and, and you know, I I've done a lot of uh um hunting shows with uh big outdoor companies and uh, I asked him about that. And they said that people, the uh, lefties, frowned on that, so they kind of stayed away from it. And I think that it's time to uh, actually put it out there and show that show the the, the lefties that it's it's a whole different, uh, uh, it's not what they think, you know. In other words, um, and, and you know, you being a houndsman, and 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 a lot of people that are on here listening uh they know that it's it's not um what uh, a lot of these guys these right wingers think well left left wingers yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. so
1: you know to share share a story from just our hunt here so yesterday morning we're trying to you know we're we're uh trying to rig a bear and we're coming down this into this uh ravine and and there's a we see somebody on the trail in front of us and you know, we get up there close to him, and uh, uh, we realize that it's a, you know, it's a guy that's trying to spot and stalk black bear. Season opened yesterday. And uh, we stop. We talk to him. We ask him if, you know, make sure he's, they're in an emergency, stuff like that. Uh, and then we, of course, we're outpacing him, and we get in front of him, and we, we head up the trail, and here this guy comes up. You know, he's coming the same direction <laughs> we are. And here he is, and I could tell he was frustrated <laughs> because we'd cut him off from his, from his hunt, and so we decided to turn around and, and, get, out and get out of there and let him enjoy his part of the hunt. I, the, the regret I have is not stopping it and having a longer conversation with that guy and explaining to him, letting him walk down that trail thinking that you know we were interfering with his hunt because it's going to take every one of us to preserve the sport of hunting whether you're hunting with a hound whether you're hunting over bait whether you're hunting deer rabbits lions or you know if you want to trade train a dog to hunt field mice you ought to be able to do that in this country right and and we're going to need every person we can get and we've said it a thousand times on this podcast but five percent of the population in the united states are hunters now five percent that's it that's it. Five percent.
2: You know that—that's what's cool about. You know, you know um, Robert. He, his kids, his his grandson's fifteen years old, and he's he's. It's an experience that he has never been to in in his life, and and I think this will make a big difference in his life. I do too. I talked to him for a little bit today, Robert. He was, uh, he's he's
1: just never experienced anything like this, and and for you to bring your grandson to an or to something like this. I remember when I was fourteen and going for for my first deer camp, you know, it was I mean, it was completely chaos, you know. <laughs> but but it's something that stuck in my mind. So when we start drawing these elitist attitudes like I'm a traditional bow hunter or I'm a I'm a spot and stalker or I'm a long range shooter or I'm a houndsman, that's not going to cut it when it comes to preserving the sport. So when we're out there and we're houndsmen, we have to represent ourselves. We've got to to step up our game and represent the group as a whole, because we can't afford to be individuals anymore. The individual's not gonna, not gonna be able to withstand the onslaught of of the anti-hunting movement.
2: Like they say in the art, uh, in the in the service, two is one and one is none. You know, we all have to be one. You know, and and you know, I mean, there is you know, uh, uh, there is bickering between the long-range rifle hunters and the and the and the bow hunters and all that stuff. But in reality, we all have the same passion we're conservationists right yeah we love this we love you know and, and for me it, it's not even about the uh the hunting part you know I, like you i remember that the first time that you came up here and you were like this is you live in heaven yeah you know you, because everybody hears of arizona is in it, it, Everybody pictures. Don't Phoenix. give any way secrets where right, we're at. Right, <laughs> Everybody pictures Arizona as Phoenix, one hundred and eighteen, hundred and twenty degrees, and people don't know that Arizona has the world's largest standing consecutive ponderosa pine forest in the world. Nobody knows that, and. you you for one you're like wow this is so awesome i would have never thought and and i'm proud and i'm happy to share that with you know you guys and and the guys from west virginia they're like wow man we would have never thought that you know and 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 being a hunter you love that and i love the smell of the mountains and just the beauty of the sun rising and all that that's that's all part of the hunt it's not going out with my weapon and and you know and, and harvesting it's it's all part of that man yeah you it's know, a spiritual it's,
3: adventure. I don't think people realize though how hunting how important hunting is to our ecosystem you know here in the United States and other countries if we didn't mm-hmm. hunt certain species you know and it's managed by the state you know and by the federal um we would be there'd be species of animals that would be completely extinct because other animals would kill them off you know the right. dominant animals so we, by balancing that species in an ecosystem. You know, it's a balance, and that's what they do, and they manage that. And people think, oh, you just go out to the woods, you know, and you kill whatever. It's not the way it is. I mean, it's a, it's way far more complex than what people realize and how well that the game is managed, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can go online here in Arizona. You can tell – you can look it up. You can see exactly how many animals was killed in each area last year. You know, you can see what to – there's a lot of information out there, Um so I get it's, it's way more complicated and way more sophisticated, you know, than what people think, you know, Robert, and probably
1: more than we even realize. You, you, know? you were telling, you were talking about, you know, being in being in Africa and, and your experience over in Africa and hunting in Africa. Was it as structured?
3: Oh, no. There, well, I was hunting, uh, I was in Kenya and I was in the military at the time we were out, uh, and be honest with you, we were doing these things called a med cap and we would go out to these villages where they'd never seen a a white person in their life. And we would take special forces, medics, and doctors. And we'd go in and we'd provide medical care. And uh, we were in there and we were pulling abstract teeth. They were doing just general, you know, um, we would would take uh, what we call vet caps in there. And we would go in and uh, deworm their animals and provide some basic vet services for them. And, you know, they'd have cows out there that looked like they were starving to death because they were eat up with worms. And they'd never been wormed in their life you know so we'd take vets in there and we'd be we'd line them up and start deworming their animals you know to regenerate them and so when i was there they gave us opportunity to um to do some hunting and all the animals you know we were out in the middle of nowhere and animals that we were harvesting we were actually feeding the uh the uh, military and we i was working with the uh, kenyan commandos which is supposed to be equivalent to the uh army special forces you know and they were all airborne guys and stuff but uh we would go out and and most of them were muslim so there's a ritual when you kill an animal, harvest animal that they have to go through before they will eat it, and uh, it was pretty. It was a great experience for me to get to go on a hunt and you know not and see it from the indigenous eyes because those were the guys that was leading us on these hunts you know, and they were putting us on top of the animals and um, you know some animals that you see, people standing by a, a, a big lion you know it's nothing that I would ever desire to try to hunt as a lion I just I just I don't know, I just think they're the king of the of the world they shouldn't be hunted you know i'm a lion myself i don't want to be hunted i feel like i'm a walking around lion you know <laughs> in this society i'm just yeah. having to be a human lion um you know and i had opportunity to, like i told you to shoot a zebra and i felt like a zebra was just a striped horse you know and i guess some people would love to have that rug on their wall because they look cool but to me it was just a striped horse you know so if i harvest an animal it was for eating
1: the the thing about it is you know Wildlife in the United States is no accident. you know it was a it was all about the North American model for wildlife conservation, and there were a lot of people, a lot of visionaries in the past that that knew what the value of that wildlife was on our landscape and they worked hard and they they laid out that they laid out that plan for us. You know, back in the 1800s, 1875, 1880s, you know, when Theodore Roosevelt started brainstorming the Boone and Crockett Club. And then, you know, all the Leopold is often often honored with the, the father of modern conservation, and they had a vision, and we see it at work right now. We are living in the golden era of wildlife conservation. Some place that Africa didn't do, you go to Europe, you know, no place on the place on the face of the earth can celebrate what hunters have done for wildlife like the like the united states can north america
3: yes if you watch some of uh you know like jim chalky's uh shows and they go overseas and a lot of hunters have uh grouped together and they donated money and they would buy land in africa in different places and just to impose our rules on the game preserve to be able to grow you know that game in those areas um you know when he starts talking about that you know i was just kind of blown away that you Know that these people have pooled their money to buy land, you know, and just make it a game preserve where these animals have a place to live and thrive, you know, and be safe mm-hmm. and safe from poachers, you know, from people out harvesting a freaking elephant for its tusk and leave it laying on the ground, you know, yeah. and and doing those unethical hunt, you know, you know, activities hunting from helicopters, you know, at times, you know, for and uh, just the straight up game, you know, uh, trophy hunting. You know, to take a picture and walk off and leave an animal laying on the ground. It's just, it's freaking sad.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, North American hunters don't do that. So, yep. well guys, we are going on an hour and 15 minutes here. It goes right away and we're getting a lot of, uh, a lot of abstract background <laughs> interference here with our podcast. Bears camp's getting interesting. Oh yeah. <laughs> and we're missing the show. Somebody yeah. gotten in the moonshine. What, Let me, what <laughs> happens in bear camp stays in bear camp. Hey Chris,
2: Sonny? um, you know, uh. I've taken a lot of uh, vets on this hunt, and, and like Hicks, um, what's cool about coming out with Sports Sense for heroes? It gives them guys inspiration to start their own. And Hicks started his own nonprofit. that's kind of the same as mine, and I've got a couple guys that do that. So if what I want to say is, if there's any houndsmen out and there, Hicks is a veteran. He's an Hicks army ranger. Army ranger. Yep. And if there's any veteran, any houndsmen out there. That want to host a hunt for sportsmen, for heroes, give me a call, and and we'll set you up with the vets, and I'll do all the logistics, and 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 uh, and that's how it all works. We're all networking because you know I can't do it all myself. So other houndsmen and other people are like, hey, I want to. That's pretty cool what you're doing. I want to experience it myself. And you know, hey, I, I got a hog hunt, or I I, I can take a guy on a lion hunt, or or bear hunt in other states. That's how. You know it all works, and if they're ever interested. So tell
1: us, tell us how. I want to go through the process of Sportsmen for Heroes. I know we want to wrap up here because we are in Bear Camp, and uh, everybody wants to have a good time and experience Bear Camp. But so tell tell our listeners how a vet uh, get contact Sportsmen for Heroes. What's the process for for being selected for the hunt? So,
2: if you if you're a, a wounded vet. um send us a bio of your military experience do they have yeah. to be a wounded vet but the our foundation is for wounded vets and okay. mobility impaired kids mm-hmm. so send us a bio and and a copy of your DD 214 and the only reason why we do the DD 214 thing is because there's some posers out there and it's sad that there is the people looking for you know a freebie and uh, you're talking
1: you're talking about other organizations that that are taking vets, taking money
2: and no I'm talking about there's people that say that they're veterans okay and and, and they're really not yeah so that's stolen why stolen valor type stuff amen okay. so so that's why we we uh, we ask a copy of your DD214 and you can you can scratch out all your private information just give us a copy of your DD214 and, and write us a bio and send it to Amber for Heroes at outlook.com and, uh, and just, and tell us what you're interested in as far as, you know, if you're not a hunter and you want to go on a horseback ride or white water rafting, because, you know, like I said, not all vets are into hunting. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to cater to them all in every outdoor experience possible. Where can people find you on social media, websites,
1: stuff like that, Sonny?
2: We have an Instagram page and the Instagram page is sportsman's for heroes. And then uh, Facebook, um, Sportsman's for Heroes, and then we have a web page. It's sportsman'sforheroes.org. for dot org. Okay, great. And uh, you know, uh, we'd love to have. We'd love to have. And the way I like to do it is, I like to you know, people from the west, my bets from the west. I like to take them out east And my out east vests, I like to bring them out what west, right? You know, because I want you know, I mean, because you know, if you take a guy from don't get me wrong they'll appreciate it but if you take a, a, a vet from kentucky kentucky deer hunting you know he's been there done that so i want to take the the vet from kentucky on a mountain lion hunt you want to take him on a, an epic adventure right okay and yeah. that's what we try to do we try to and you know and i mean you know everybody has as some type of a, of a disability there's not a disability that's that we will not if you want to go on elk hunt and you're in a wheelchair we'll make it happen awesome that's you know? awesome well, let's get some concluding
1: thoughts. We'll just kind of go around the room here. Do you got anything you want to throw in, Chris as a concluding thought what yeah your i mean,
4: my My opinion has definitely been changed about about running dogs and houndsmen uh the work i mean, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm training a little bird dog, so the work y'all put into these dogs and these dogs are doing it for you. They're doing it to to not let you down and uh <laughs> It's amazing, and, and I definitely have found a new respect for the sport. And uh, I definitely I love seeing those
2: dogs work.
1: Hopefully we'll get some more dog work tomorrow. Yeah. yeah <laughs> been, the weather's just been killing us. It has been. Yeah, I mean, you've definitely got bears in this country. It's just we can't control what we can't control, you know, and and uh, when it's right, it'll be right. You know, yeah. you know, the thing about bear hunting, you spend hours and hours and hours looking for that that you know that box shaking strike that you get and hoping you can get turned loose on it and about the time that you think that it's not going to happen you go around the next bin and boom there it is I, know, and I
2: can't wait till these guys experience it yeah. you know and and uh i just can't wait <laughs> yeah i can't
1: either robert you got any closing thoughts yeah you know for
3: me uh thank you sonny for this opportunity you know to uh to hunt with you to hunt animals um you know, I, I think I'm pretty, uh, I'm more probably one of the lucky veterans, you know, I, I, I still have the means to uh be able to do some of this stuff on my own, but uh even though I am injured and I limp around, I kind of drag a leg around behind me, but, uh, you know, I'm one of those dudes in my own mind, I'm, I'm not as good as I once was, but I think I can step up one more time, you know, <laughs> and, and pull some shit off and amaze myself, you know, at the same time, and uh the opportunity to hunt, and like I say, I'm kind of new to getting back into the hunting world, and uh in hunting with hounds, you know, I appreciate, uh, you know, you bringing your dogs out here and all the other people. And i be honest, I thought everybody here was hunting for themselves a bear to start with, you know, on day one. And I realized that everybody was out here to help basically kind of three individuals. So we had a camp of 20 people, you know, I think four different sets of dogs from different locations here for three of us. And, uh, I'm not worthy, but I thank you, you know, and, uh,
1: yeah, I feel like I have a friend for life. Yep, you got one of me, Sergeant Major. Yeah, appreciate. it. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. you.
2: And you know, and I want to, I want to thank you, um, Robert. I want to thank you, Chris, and 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 Mister Pell. I want to thank you too. Your, just call your, me Chris. Uh, well, I called Chris <laughs> and Chris. So yeah, I we had, didn't get into that. There's yeah, two more. There's two We did a podca- Chris. two Chris's.
1: We, we did a podcast like that one time where there were two Chris's on the podcast. And Steve was trying to interview both of us, and we're tr- both trying to answer. So. <laughs> That's why I called yeah. you Mr. Powell. Yeah.
2: So anyway, so thank you for coming um, from Indiana. Thank you for sharing your passion with us. And thank you for this podcast, and thank you for, for doing it, for not just for us, for doing it for all the houndsmen and, and actually having a passion that you want to keep this sport alive. Thank you so much. Thank you all to all the veterans out there that are fighting a war in their head every day. You know, call me. Um, look us up and uh, just thank you for everything.
3: Yeah, I guess just one last thing. There caveat there, you know. I want to tell when a soldier returns from war, the war over is not over for him. You know, it, it might be over in action wise, but it's still physically and mentally. You know, the war is not over for him, and a lot of soldiers have some problems. Um, you know, with PTSD. And me personally, I think a big problem is they self medicate, so they go to the VA. VA's trying to help them. They're giving them the meds that they feel like they should need to, you know, help their emotions. Mm-hmm. And then they come home and they take that medicine and they add alcohol on top of it, which kind of alleviates the whole idea of working with a psychologist and trying to handle your problems, you know, and it throws a whole new, you know, monkey wrench into the system for that person that's trying to manage it. And uh, I have great friends, you know, that's self-medicating. And uh, so if you see a veteran out there and they're struggling, you know, listen to their story hold out your hand, shake their hand. And, uh, that goes a long way.
1: Yep. Well, I will wrap it up on this podcast with, uh, telling I'm honored to be in in camp with not only two great warriors, but you know, also you, Sonny, I appreciate you inviting us out to be a part of this event and, and, uh, uh, you know, record the podcast with you and, 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 just capture this whole experience you know it's been awesome and and that's the ben like again the benefactor is me i 'm in beautiful country i 'm with great people, and uh, i can 't thank you enough so I would really in- encourage any veteran that's that's looking for looking for an opportunity not to self medicate but to medicate here in these mountains or wherever they have you can take them that's the best therapy right. Yes. Thank so, you so much, Chris. Yep. Well, we're going to wrap this up. And even though Steve's not here, we've got a tagline that we always use at the end of every podcast. So even though we haven't experienced this, this we councilmen have all over the, all over the country, you know, you got this track going down through the country there and, and the race splits and, and two different guys standing there on the mountainside. And, and the best advice is, Sonny, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine.